New York sports fans, I'm Danielle McCartan. Danielle in the daytime. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you right up until you can hear right here on WFAN, the Yankees-Orioles game. And don't forget, too, that the Mets are trying to keep their season alive tonight in Washington, D.C. So I've got a loaded show for you guys today, including special guest Madeline Burke, the TV hostess extraordinaire for MSG Network and for the New York Giants. We'll have uh, her live at 11.20 a.m. Brian Rescona and I are coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio here in lower Manhattan. And I want to welcome in my normal overnight listeners. I see you guys and the brand new sets of ears that are tuned in right now. You guys know the number. It's already pre-programmed into your phone. I know that. 877-337-6666. And as always, let's load them up with your best content only. So happy Labor Day to everybody out there. Those of you that are working on a weekend like usual, like me and Brian right now, or you're enjoying the fruits of your labor right now. Thanks for making me and us part of your holiday weekend. And what an exciting night for baseball it was for our New York baseball teams last night. Wow-wee. The lowly Orioles took the mighty Yankees to the brink. That was until Giancarlo Stanton said, Team, get on my back. Three hours and 48 minutes after first pitch, the Yankees mobbed Stanton near second base in the bottom of the 11th inning. The Mets, just minutes before that celebration in the Bronx, came up big in our nation's capital in a true roller coaster game, ultimately scoring four runs in the top of the 10th inning to put it in the books. Let's look at those each of those games independently. First up, the New York Yankees. The Yankees welcome the Baltimore Orioles, the worst team in the league, literally in terms of winning percentage, to Yankee Stadium for a three-game series. That game, like Nick Jonas just told you, was way too close. It took the Yankees till the bottom of the 11th to put away a team that they needed to and prior to first pitch were expected to dominate. Actually, The Yankees were lucky to come away with a win as they notched the first W towards the expected sweep of this lowly Orioles team. A win is a win, no matter how pretty or how ugly it is, I know that. But the whole thing was just too close for comfort. I did not think that a game against the worst team in the league was going to come down to a walk-off scenario, to be honest. But that's the way the cookie crumbled last night, or should I say early this morning. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but... I was expecting a home run derby in the Bronx last night. I was expecting the Yankees to to attack John Means aggressively, to get off to a fast start, and to keep their hands around Baltimore's throats, proverbially, of course, and just never let them back into the game. I mean, prior to this game, I was thinking that the Yankees were going to pound the Orioles into submission. Like, think of Little League 10-run rule territory. And yet, The Yankees were no-hit through three full innings, and it was damn near four. It was Giancarlo Stanton that broke up that no-hitter with a solo home run with two outs in the bottom of the fourth. And then yet in the top of the seventh, Jonathan Loisega, who has been absolutely dominant, allowed only his third home run of the entire season to a guy, Mateo, who had only hit three up until that point. That blast to the third row near the left 
outfield foul pole, locked up the game at 2-2. Two to two. And I bet inside that Yankees dugout at that point, they were asking themselves, who are these Orioles? So, would you consider last night's nail-biter a gut punch to the Yankees? No. They won the game. How about a reality check? No. Again, they won the game. What I will say is this. This would only be concerning to me in the sense that the Yankees didn't and couldn't go for the jugular of a team that is far inferior to them in terms of skill level. The Yankees played down to the Orioles. That would be the only slight concern that I had coming out of that game. But John Means is a great pitcher, and he showed you and the Yankees hitters just how good he is. Actually, if you remember, John Means was first on my wish list of starting pitchers for both of our New York teams at the trade deadline. The Orioles ended up holding on to him, so that just goes to show you his value. So what are my three takeaways from Game 1 of this Yankees-Orioles series? We'll look at them chronologically. One, I point to the vintage DJ LeMahieu, hitting situationally in the bottom of the 10th to keep the game alive. At that point, it was already 3-2 Orioles. With one out, he singled the other way, might I add, vintage DJ. And Tyler Wade scored from second base on a play that was so freaking close. It was The swipe tag by the catcher literally just missed. I love calling him this because I love to channel Aaron Boone here. Waiter. Just missed Waiter's thigh. I mean, how valuable is Tyler Wade on the bases? He told Meredith after the game, I was scoring. The second thing I observed, Clay Holmes worked himself out of a major jam. I mean, top of the 11th inning in a pressure-filled spot to begin with. And he finds himself in the ultimate no-no situation for a defense. You know it. The dreaded first and third with nobody out. I mean, that is the single most nerve-wracking and difficult situation for a defense, compounded with the fact that Stanton made a catch for the second out, and he came up throwing home. No one cut it off, and it looked like it surprised Gary Sanchez, too, and it bounced off his shoulder and scooted away. The runners then moved up to second and third with two outs. Walks, errors, those guys in the game of baseball are supposed to score, yet For the third out of the inning, Clay Holmes absolutely froze Kelvin Gutierrez and and a 99-mile-an-hour sinker for strike three, inning over. Holmes did not give up a single run. Stanton on the field after the game said, that was big time. And three. Finally, you might have guessed it, but Giancarlo Stanton walking it off by hitting situationally. I know, how crazy is that? He also said on the field after the game, The bigger the moment, the bigger you got to step up and stick to your plan. When Meredith asked what his plan was, he said, oh, I love this. Hit something to the opposite field to try to advance Judge over. Yes, finally, he gets it, and he shot a 95-mile-an-hour sinker back up the middle, rounded first, and stole a peek at Judge, who was sliding home safely. So, a magician act from Clay Holmes and two major situational hitting breakthroughs And the New York Yankees snatched one from the jaws of defeat Friday night. After that win, Fangraphs has the Yankees at a 94.1% chance to make the playoffs and and a 9% chance to win the World Series. Higher than the Rays, 8.1%, might I add. That's actually the first time in the last two weeks or so or three that the Yankees' chance to win the World Series has been higher than the Rays, at least that I've seen. 
Something to keep an eye on. not dead yet everybody the Mets believe it or not are staying alive the Rockies beat the Braves and the Marlins crushed the Phillies and you know what that means the Mets are just four count them one two three four games back of the division leading Braves that was a game in my opinion that the Mets were not supposed to win the Nationals offense against left-handed pitchers was outstanding. In fact, their 271 batting average against lefties is the base, best in all of baseball. Rich Hill said, not today. And he absolutely shut down the Nationals, pitching a gem of an outing, probably his best in a Mets uniform by far, I think. Six scoreless innings pitched. And most importantly, he silenced the two hottest Washington hitters, Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Together, the two of them against Hill were 0 for 6. Soto, especially, is known for having among the best plate disciplines in the entire league. Well, Rich Hill got him to chase two balls out of the zone in the nine strikes that he threw to him. And Hill, after the game, said he's trying to disrupt the timing is the whole art of pitching. That's what I love about it. Mets fans were certainly in for a roller coaster ride. I mean, in the bottom of the ninth, Fangraph's win probability chart swung 83% in favor of a Nationals win in the bottom of the ninth. That, of course, was the craziest part, in my opinion, of this entire game. Let's break down this play step by step. We are in the bottom of the ninth. Riley Adams of the, of the Nationals stepped to the plate, and he set the whole thing in motion with one out. The Mets were up 2-1, to one, and Edwin Diaz was pitching. He had Adams down 0-2, fast. And then that pinch runner on first base, Stevenson, he, he left on Diaz, Diaz's release to steal second base, and that's when all hell broke loose. A, with the runner in motion, Adams flared a ball to shallow center field. Brandon Nemo dove forward for the do-or-die play and missed it by about three feet. And now, why did he choose to make that play? Well, my best guess is that, and I didn't see this anywhere, I don't know if it, he, was, he was asked about it, but my best guess is that he knew that Michael Conforto was backing him up and that Conforto has a cannon for an arm. So in the moment, I, if I was playing center field, I probably would have made the same exact decision. And if it was a mistake as a coach, you know, deeming that as a mistake to go for it, something like that, I, from a coaching perspective, always appreciate the aggressive mistake over the timid one. Any day of the week. And B, that's precisely what happened. Then Conforto made a dazzling backup play and fired the ball into the cutoff man. C, this is the same play. This is, this is like the bottom of the ninth. This is it. If you saw the replay and paid close enough attention to it, I wish I paused my TV and took a, a, screen, a, you know, a picture of it, but Lindor and Baez were both standing off of the bag at second base. I think quite unsure and confused about who was actually going to receive the cutoff throw. Remember, they're two mostly new teammates. Remember I said that neither of them was actually standing on second base, which in that case would make it clear cut because they were both standing off of second base. I think there was confusion on who was to receive the throw. And then D, Baez ended up taking the cutoff throw and he threw it six feet up the third baseline to the catcher, Cisco. And 
the best I can describe this is like a vulnerable wide receiver over the middle. The quarterback, Baez, left Cisco out to dry. I mean, Cisco got absolutely pummeled by the base runner, Stevenson, and he dropped the ball. Safe. And by the way, Adams advanced to third. It was officially scored a throwing error by Baez, which it absolutely was. Cisco left the game, and then Edwin Diaz struck out the next batter with three pitches only and induced a ground ball out for the third out. Whew. I mean, sort of. I mean, he blew the save, and now the game was tied, obviously. And to extra innings, the Mets went two. And I got this on split screen on my TV. Like, would one of them just end already? Alonzo started the rally in the top of the 10th inning, scoring on a single to right field. The automatic runner, Lindor, scored from second. And then the Mets ended up scoring four runs that half of inning, their frame there. And they took a 6-2 lead to the bottom of the 10th. And now the, the cynical Mets fan watching from their couch, hands folded in prayer, said to themselves, is four runs enough? Jerry's Familia surprisingly slammed the door shut on three successive batters, a swinging strikeout and two ground ball outs. Put it in the books. No, really. The Mets beat the Nationals in D.C., and they now have an official five-game winning streak and an unofficial six-game winning streak. And in looking at the official schedule, they've won five of the six games of this stretch of must-win games that they are supposed to win. So not bad. And don't look now. Fangraph's percentage for the Mets to make the playoffs is back up to 10.9%. And to win the World Series, well, you know, that's at 0.7%. At least it's not zero. Yes, let's throw it back to 2011 with Verse Simmons and Kelly Rowland to talk about the drama in Queens. The booing. To me, it's very simple. If you don't want to be booed, play better. Instead, Javier Baez and Francisco Lindor, who were the only two players that I saw with my own two eyes, did something that I have never seen in all of my years in sports at every level, as a player, as a coach, as an umpire, as a member of the media now. The two of them, those multimillionaires, hundreds of times over, playing a game for a living, by the way, literally got together and decided that it was an excellent idea to stand there and boo the fans that took the time out of their schedules to be there during a global pandemic, paid, if you're coming from North Jersey, which I would be, what, what is it, $25 in tolls to get there, paid $25 to park at the stadium, paid hundreds of dollars for the tickets, paid probably $100 in food and drinks alone, and those ride-or-dies that invested in the team with their hard-earned cash got a thumbs-down from Lindor and Baez that I saw. I mean, the thumbs down at that point could have easily just been a middle finger as far as I'm concerned. The fact of the matter is, fans have every right to boo the players on the field when they are not performing, just as they have every right to cheer them when they are performing. Francisco Lindor even told you that himself way back on August 22nd. He said, I haven't performed. I haven't done it. The bottom line is, I haven't done what I'm here to do. This is Lindor. He said, offensively, criticize me and say whatever you want because you are right. They are all right. Wait, now I'm confused. Actually, how can you blame the fans? The owner set extremely high expectations for this team from the beginning. And then, in the midst of all of this, he tweeted some nonsense about a black jersey controversies. It's not funny. Oh, and then I was lost at the Sa- Sandy Alderson statement. I mean, People were tweeting me and telling me that it came from Steve Cohen. 
Come on. In my day job line of work, when kids hand me papers to grade, whose it is is whose name is on it. And if, in fact, that really was a Steve Cohen statement, why not put your name on it? Listen, we're New Yorkers, and I use that term to encompass New Jerseyans and nutmeggers. That's what people from Connecticut are called, nutmeggers. I encompass all of us here. We tell you how we feel. This whole thing actually makes me have a greater appreciation from John, for John Carlos Stanton, who stopped the booze in the Bronx by, wait for it, playing better. What about Joey Gallo? Just last night getting booed after popping up late in the game. Hey, you know the guy that's about to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame this week? You know, a guy by the name of Derek Jeter? Yeah, he got booed too. And in 2004, he said at the time, I don't blame them. We would have booed ourselves tonight too. Actually, it happened in my classroom once. Really. My seniors did not like that I was going to make them do actual work towards the end of their high school careers. And they booed me. I even said at the time, well, this has never happened to me before in my entire life. But guess what, Francisco Lindor and Javier Baez? I didn't take it personally, not one second. The seniors were booing my assignment and the fact that I was making them do work. They weren't booing me. Figure that out, you two. It took me all of five seconds to do that. Stop being so sensitive or your careers here will end before they even begin. Oh, and, and by the way, you can keep your phony sorry-I'm-not-sorry apologies. You had a full off day to construct those and figure them out, and yet you still botched them. You know, one thought did creep into my mind about this. Baez should be as good as gone at the end of the season. But is Francisco Lindor trying to force his way out? I did think about this. Is he already regretting that 10-year commitment he made to the New York Mets? Can he not handle the pressure of playing in New York? I mean, he is having the worst offensive season of his entire career. Guys have forced their way out of places in all sports in a plethora of different ways. And what better way to do it than to piss off the people that indirectly pay your salary? Just some food for thought. So, Let's get it going. I have set the table for you guys. I can't wait to talk with you. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan in the daytime on The Fan in New York City. Welcome back to Danielle in the daytime here on The Fan. I was waiting for the beat to drop, Brian. We're like looking at each other through the glass. There it is. There it is. Welcome to Danielle in the daytime here on The Fan, everybody. 877-337-6666 is the phone number. If you can't get through on the phones, you can tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I'm following them as they come through. Don't forget, we have Madeline Burke from the Giants joining us at 11.20 a.m. live on the phone. Uh, And just before I get to the calls here, I just wanted to follow up on uh, something that we talked about on the show last week and very, very quickly. And for those of you that are maybe tuning in for the first time, I bought a projector, a little bougie here, not really, but I bought a projector, a fire fire stick, and a uh, projection screen. And tried it out for the first time on Sunday. Had my friend and her family come over to watch the Giants-Patriots game. We set it up on the patio outside, and wow, what a cool experience. It was different. The picture was crystal clear. I was shocked, and it was really easy to set up. So, I don't know. We just had a fun time. So, if you guys, I don't know, have a chance to, I mean, I would highly recommend it. Five out of five, ten out of ten, whatever. And I'm telling you guys this now because 
if you hopped online, you could get your own setup for a week one of the NFL season. So the one thing, though, that, that I'm going to have to upgrade somehow and somewhere along the line is is just the sound because it was playing from the projector and it, it wasn't great. But it was really good for the first time. It was a projector. If, if you want what I got, I can send it to you. It's not expensive at all. Um, I'm a teacher at the end of the summer. It wasn't that expensive. So um, it was great. It was a projector, a fire stick, a projection screen. That's all you needed. Giants, Patriots. Um, it looked great. It was fun. It was a fun time. So I, I highly recommend it, you guys. All right, let's go to the calls. Uh, we've got the leadoff batter of the night, or the day, I should say. I'm used to being on at night. Jay in Franklin Park, New Jersey. You're up on the fan. I don't think I've ever been the leadoff batter. Um, well, there you for go. Thanks for the call. Um, I, uh, and I hadn't had a chance to listen to you overnight, and we connected uh, on social media, so mm-hmm. it's good to hear you during the day. Awesome. Thanks, um, Jay. I appreciate that. So – Two things. Firstly, I called to talk about an odd thing I saw on TV during that Mets play with the play at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to just chime in about the booing. Uh, I've never been a booer, and I've always said I don't understand why people boo. And at the same time, I've grown up a New York sports team fan my entire life, and it just is how it is, right? It's like every great player in New York history has always said, the reason it's more amazing to win in New York is because the fans tell you when you're not doing well. Yes. And then when you win, it's more amazing here. And then I was talking with somebody yesterday and they said, there's literally a song that says, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. That's right. It's like, this is not a surprise, right? This yeah. is like, yep. this is how it's been. I, I, after I heard this, I thought, Steve Cohen, they need to bring in the 86 Mets. They need to bring in Mike Piazza. They need to bring, I don't care if they're from the Mets. They need to bring in, you know, Knicks and Yankees players who've been booed, who are like all time great players. This is not special to them. And the first thing I thought was release bias. I don't really care. And you know what? Like, I do think Lindor will probably be a much better player than he's been. But if he wants to finagle a trade and the Mets can get something back for him, that's of value by, you know, that's you know what, what I think. Jay, right, exactly, right? That's how I think a lot of Mets fans feel, I think. The ones that are in the same boat as, you know, it is what it is, booing is it. That, you know, that's it, it's expected. But, you know, there's only up from here for Lindor, right? He's having the worst offensive season of his entire career. It has to get better, doesn't it? You would think? Yeah, I, I, I would think so. Uh, and, you know, to be fair to him, he's not wrong. Like, he, He's been really good in the field, and he does show generally really good leadership traits in terms of his positivity yes. outside of his whining. I'll give you him know, that. But, yep. in ter- um, but anyway, that, I, so I want to share that because, you know, I've actually, I was so frustrated. I think Jim Rome was on one of the CBS updates, and it was like, it seems like the people who are not from New York. Don't get it. They're like, they don't get it. Yeah. Like Keyshawn Johnson was saying, like, the booing is ridiculous, and the, of course the put the or no, the, not the booing is ridiculous. Sure, the players have the they have the right to give the thumbs down, and I'm like, like, are they babies? Like, come on, Keyshawn making, Johnson, like, didn't I'm, you didn't you write a book that said give me the damn ball? I mean, he's yes, not he a did. good. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but anyway, right. the reason why I called, I I don't know if anyone else saw this, and I didn't see any other replays, but when they were showing the ball that was hit to the outfield. Right when Nimmo missed it, mm-hmm. I forget who the runner was. Uh, it looked like he was like, he stopped as he approached second base to make sure it wasn't going to be caught. Yes. The only view I saw of the play looked like his foot may not have hit the base. 
like it was right in front of the base, hmm. and I didn't see any other replays, and I didn't see anyone else show it. And I'm wondering if there are any other replays from any angles or if anybody brought it up. Yeah, you know what, Jay, that's a good good point there. Um, it's something that I did not see. It was chaos happening in that moment. But what I've learned, and thanks for the call there, Jay, uh, what I've learned here um, doing this, if anybody, ha- if the Twitter people are, are insane with this, the Twitter sleuths, if anybody has that replay that, that we could take a look um, again at what happened there, uh, I'd be more than happy to, to revisit that. Um, I forget the runner. It, it was uh, the bottom of the ninth inning, so to narrow it down, bottom of the ninth, there was uh, one out. And the runner on first was Stevenson. He was a pitch runner. I have in my notes here. So, um, if anybody the Twitter sleuths can find that, and we can we can see for sure if Stevenson, um, yeah, actually touched second base or not. Good point, and we'll see. I- I'm sure somebody has it. I'm sure someone was going to tweet that to me. Oh, by the way, at Coach M C C A R T A N. All right, let's go, Kevin and Camden. You're up next on the fan. What's up, Coach? What's up, Kevin? I'm good. How are you? Great. I want to talk about the Mets and the well, I want to talk about the apology first because I I have uh, I did not buy it one second. Wait, Kevin, I mean, stop right there. Tell everybody how much you love Javier Baez on a scale from zero to ten. I I got to be honest. When when we got him, I was thrilled. I was right. as happy as I as happy as I could ever be. I was so happy I bought a Baez jersey when he first came. Oh, what are you doing with that jersey now, Kevin? I, it hasn't even come yet, so <laughs> I haven't even gotten it yet. It's Send it back. Send it being back. Processed. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to get my money back, but I'm going to keep it. But I didn't know this was going to be happening. But, I mean, as far as the apology goes, I, I, like I said, I didn't buy it. Because this is New York. This isn't Chicago. This isn't Cleveland. For both of them, Berlindo and Mike. This isn't Chicago. This isn't Cleveland. If you guys can handle it, man, I mean... Get out. You got to get out of here. And, I, right. and I told I told Lori this other, I told this, this last week. I said that no matter what Baez does now, I, I, I think it's too little too late. I yeah. think his legacy now Gone. as a Met is going to be booing the fans. And now when he comes back, he's going to be a villain. And it, and I hate to see it because Baez is a likable guy. Oh, before this. But yeah. he was a likable guy. And now when he comes because I think he's as good as gone. And, and next year... He's going to come back, and it's going to be booed. And I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be unfortunate. But you know what? You, you never take on the fans because you're not going to win. You know what, Kevin? Too, and there was something else about about your guy Baez or your former guy Baez that that really yeah. bothered me. Top of the tenth. I don't know if you saw this. Top of the tenth. Um, it was Alonzo tagging up on a, a flyout, a Baez flyout to Soto. And it was oh, the, was it last night? I yeah. fell asleep in uh, like the ninth. Okay, okay. So, so let me get your take on this then. Alonzo tags up on a Baez flyout to Soto in the very, very corner of right field. It was like three feet foul. Okay. Baez didn't leave the batter's box. I mean, if the ball what? was that close, how are you still standing there with a bat in your oh, hands? Come I, I would have been. You know what? I would have been. Ah, so, uh, you know what? That's I it. didn't see. It. I, I would have went off. That would have been. That would have been part of my call. I don't know. I seen it. <laughs> I would have went off about it. Yeah. In my oh, notes. My in my God. notes, I wrote, it's "What just, the I, f?" I is what I wrote. Out of here. I, yeah. think, I really do. Yeah. I think he misses the Cubs. I think he's going to go back to Chicago. Good. Take Crazy him. Enough as I think it is, I think he's going to go back to Chicago because he loves that place. Yep. And and, the, and no respect, no disrespect to the Cubs fans, but they just don't care. I mean, they're so happy about their Cubs. They love their Cubs, and that's why I think by he cratered because he never experienced anything like this. So I'm and I and you know, I, I I will always support you know players, but not when you blew the fans. You can't do that. Yep. And, exactly. and real quick, yep. um, Brad Hands, you had called it last year. You mm-hmm. wanted him on the team. He's here. I know he's ineligible for the playoffs should we make it. But yes. you know what? I think he's going to provide some late-inning uh, leverage. And I believe he. I believe if he does well, 
the Mets could re-up him next year. So I love the move, and I think that uh, he can really provide a boost for this bullpen because, let's be honest, this bullpen needs a lot of help, though. Yeah. And Kevin, thanks for the call there. Um, Brad Hand, yes, I, I, I went back to my notes just when they signed him. My January 10th show, that's when I suggested Brad Hand to both the Mets and the Yankees. Uh, Luis Rojas says he sees him as a high-leverage guy. Great. I know he hasn't been great, but he has the potential to be great. I mean, I, I looked at and I compared Brad Hand and Liam Hendricks on January 10th, his career numbers to, to Liam Hendricks. I mean, they were, and I can tweet it too if you want, I mean, they were pretty comparable, Brad Hand and Liam Hendricks. So there is high upside to Brad Hand, and I'd be curious to see um, what he does when he gets here. You know, and actually pitch. I mean, he's, I know he's here, but, you know, pitching-wise. And uh, just one more thing. Another single time I'm going to say this. Javier Baez was the wrong cub. The wrong one. Michael and Lake Mary, you're up next on The Fan. Hey, Coach. Good morning. How are you? Great. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for taking the call. I, I wanted to bring something up about something I tweeted to you a little earlier this week about the the uh, the it was actually a Dub uh, FAN tweet about the most hated baseball team. Oh yeah, I was going to bring that up tomorrow, but go ahead. Yes. Oh okay. No, well, it's fine. I, so I'm going through it, and I see the Dodgers were first, the yeah. Yankees were second, the Cubs were third, the Mets and the Cardinals were tied for fourth. So my first thought is, all right, I get the whole Dodgers and Yankees, and I'm a diehard Yankee fan, so I get the whole deal, but. Where are the Astros on this list? I know. Where are the freaking Astros? I know. I mean, my thought was, my first thought was, are fans accepting what they did because of the hated teams at the top? Because those two teams, the Yankees and Dodgers, were most affected by what they did. Exactly. And then my thought is, well, where's our integrity? We don't hate this team. So I just want to get your thoughts on that, and I'm going to hang up, and uh, you have a good afternoon, Coach. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. You too. Listen, when that poll came out, and this is kind of spoiling for tomorrow night. Tomorrow, by the way, I'm on at 6 p.m. But when that poll came out and the Houston Astros were not at the top of that list of most hated baseball teams in America, I mean, the Dodgers and the Yankees were at the top of the list. I was like, something's up. We're going to need a recount here. Where'd the ballots go? (laughs) Recount. Because you know what? Both the Dodgers, who have a large fan base, not just in the L.A. area, but across the country, and the Yankees, who have a large fan base, not just in the New York area, but across the country, both hate the Houston Astros. So unless this poll was was done in Houston or the city of Houston or the state of Texas, there's no way that the Houston Astros are not the most hated team in baseball. It's just, it's just not. I mean... Most of the guys are still there. I mean, the big guys anyway, Altu- the Altuves and, and of the world, and, you know, they're, they're there still. People are still throwing blow-up garbage cans onto the field in L.A. F. Altuve happens every single day at Yankee Stadium, whether the Astros are playing there or not. So I just, my mind also, Michael, was blown about how the Astros are not the hate, most hated team in baseball. And why wasn't Dom Smith in the starting lineup for the Mets on Friday night? Well, he was on bereavement. But um, in terms of his play, let's dissect a little good news, bad news with the inconsistency and what is going on with Dom Smith this season. 877-337-6666 is the phone number. Welcome back to Danielle in the Daytime here on The Fan. Everybody, we were just talking a lively conversation about both the New York Mets and the New York Yankees. Um, and, And I kind of... 
took an analytical perspective on this, and I'm like, you know what? Dom Smith was one of the best players in the New York Mets um, last season, so what's going on this season? And Luis Rojas said of Dom Smith, he said, it's been kind of scattered when he shows up. It's just been up and down. So that was my cue to start trying to figure out what's going on. And I looked, and he's hitting balls in the air. He's walking. He's striking out at similar rates as what he did in 2020, which is good. But he's kind of worked his way out of the the regular starting lineup of the Mets in the last two games that, that he's been a part of, right? Why? Well, I mean, the last home run that he's hit was on July 21st in a 7 nothing win at Cincinnati. 7 nothing. He hit a home run. Okay. His barrel rate is half of what it was last season. And he's chasing pitches out of the zone at the highest rate since his first year in the league, which tells me he's not seeing the ball well enough. I should say on a consistent basis. And that could be because pitchers are throwing breaking balls to him 6% more this year than last year. And I'm questioning if he can make the correct adjustment or not. Yankees fans saw it with Aaron Judge. Yankees fans saw it with uh, John Carlos Stanton. He could do it. If they've done it, he could do it. So the good news is Luis Rojas, too, has has been able to figure out with his coaching staff. He said he's not involving his lower half as much. We talked about that, and he's looking to have his lower half more involved so he's more balanced. So I'm like, okay, since since he said that, let's look at the numbers. There are there have been three games that, that Dom Smith has played against the Marlins and the Nationals, right? In this in this stretch. He's two for five which is 400. I know small sample size. I know, two for five with two RBIs and an on-base plus slugging of 800. That also includes Thursday night's pinch hit RBI single, which ended up being the game winner for the Mets. So Rojas, my dude, when he comes back from bereavement, get him in the lineup. Needs to be there. Definitely needs to be there. All right, we'll go back to your calls. 877-337-6666. Jeff in the Bronx. You're up on the fan. Hey, Coach McCartan, how you doing this morning? What's up, Jeff? How are you? Hey, uh, a couple quick points on last night, and then I want to get into the booing controversy, if you let me. Go ahead. Do, um, go for it. La- One. Last night was, you know, when, when you're going well, you have games like that where, you know, you go from an easy 2 nothing win to, you know, uh, a player 90 feet away from, take, from winning the game with one out you know, in the bottom of the ninth. But I just want to say kudos to Mazika because that's a, that's a really tough spot to come in. I think you play catcher. So you know how, to, you know, you're coming into a runner on third, one out with a guy that throws sliders in the dirt. And, you know, you haven't been playing all game and you got to basically, he blocked the ball on the strike three call that could have obviously gone away from him and cost us a game. So Yeah, well, Jeff, I, I played shortstop, but I, on the Carton, on, on Carton and Roberts, Evans' team, I played catcher. I think I did a pretty good got job. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, no, I understand. You're coming in cold off the bench, and you're in the biggest spot of the game, that most high-pressure spot in the game. Mazika, excellent job. Yes, I'm with you. So about the booing, and I'm going to look at it from a different angle. Personally, I had no issue with what they said. I, don't, I know they weren't talking to me because I'm a diehard Mets fan. I'm 40 years old. I go to, you know, in a typical year, I go to about 20, 25 games a year. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not somebody on Twitter that's, you know, sending out racist remarks to Marcus Stroman and Walker. Or, but that's you know, not what this is about. Of, but that's not what this is but about. That, but it's, it's all connected, and I'm going to tell you why. Because no, I don't think Mets so. fans have historically been bad to their own players. And I know everybody gets booed in New York, but Piazza even said it. 
Piazza was getting booed when he first came here because he wasn't producing, and then he got booed when he was hitting 340 because Met fans were scared that he was going to run out the door now that he was hitting. Met fans were I booing. I went to Johan Santana's first game. He pitched at Shea Stadium in 2008. We booed Johan when he came off the mound because he didn't pitch that well. That's we what happens. But that's what happens in New York. You don't perform, you get booed. I got booed in my own but, freaking classroom. That's what I happens. I understand that. But, <laughs> but again, the, the, the New York Mets fans, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on it. We, and it can't be that we're not. it's because we're not performing because – we were booing Lindor when the team was in first place and winning. Yeah, but he it's was stinking. Just, he is hitting. Yeah. He was hitting like one seventy three at the time. Come on, Jeff. But you don't. See, you don't see other teams do that to their own players because Yankee other teams fans, don't play in New York, Jeff. That's the no, deal. Yankee, Yankee fans don't do that to, to their own players. They Joey Gallo last night, Jeff. Were you but... watching the Yankee game last night? Joey Gallo got booed last night when he popped up in whatever eighth, ninth, whatever inning it was. I'm I'm sure Joey Gallo is not getting death threats on on Twitter. How are you? I mean, don't, come on, Jeff. All right, that's where you get cut off. You don't know that. You don't know that. You don't know what people send to people. People are crazy. People are crazy, and there's no way for you to know whether or not Joey Gallo is getting death threats. Okay, was Francisco Lindor getting death threats? How you at bias? I didn't see that. I didn't see any of those reports. Come on, man. You come to New York. You know what you're expecting. The biggest mistake the Mets had or did this offseason was signing Francisco Lindor to a 10-year deal without having seen him play a game in New York. And now I think Francisco Lindor is is like, oh, my God, I'm here for the next 10 years. I can't take being booed for the next 10 years. So I'm going to start trying to weasel my way out of here and out of this deal by booing the fans. The ones that sit there and spend their hard-earned cash to watch me perform on the field. No way. Joey Gallo got booed last night. Joey Gallo, who everybody loves. There's t-shirts made of Italian Stallion, Joey Gallo. He got booed last night. John Carlos Stanton gets booed on a regular basis. So does Gary Sanchez. So does our oldest Chapman. I mean, go down the list. Derek Jeter got booed. Eli Manning's gotten booed. Let's, let's expand this to more than just baseball. Henrik Lundqvist has gotten booed. Lots of Jets players have gotten booed. We'll keep that there. It's because it's, it's, you get booed when you're not performing. I don't care if the team's in first place. Francisco Lindor, you're hitting 173. You came in here as like the savior of the Mets. Everybody thought you were going to be the savior, and you're just not. You're not performing. And there's a lot of other extracurriculars that uh, are, are question marks to me. The fight with, with McNeil, the bringing in your best friend Baez, I think that puts a lot of doubt in Mets fans' minds about that contract and that money and that long-term deal. And I said it when it happened. You do not give a middle infielder a 10-year deal. He's going to be 37 when the deal expires. 37 years old. Who wants a 37-year-old middle infielder? Nobody has their hands up, I know right now. I I could see you through the radio. You don't have your hand up. It was a mistake from the beginning. Let's go to Bob and Sayaset. You're up next on The Fan. Hi, Danielle. What's up, a couple things. Uh, yeah, I know you're talking about Lindor. Yeah, that, they probably wish they had that one back. The other thing is um, a couple things I but, want to bring wait, up. Wait, Bob, how many, um, times do, how many times do the Mets say that? How many, oh, do they wish they had that back? Cespedes? I mean, we can, Bobby Bonilla we can even go back to. I mean, come on already. <laughs> well, I hope it works out. I mean, he, he was good in Cleveland. He, he really was. So I hope it works out. The other thing is what happened to Cano? His 80 days is up. I don't, I don't care. But yeah, let's talk about bad contracts. There's another one. Yes. 
<laughs> okay, and then, uh, and then a couple a couple points. I, I, I you know, Clay Holmes is three and zero. Wendy Peralta has got five saves. I feel really good for Mike Stanton that he's really producing. Uh, John Carlo Stanton <laughs> that he's really producing. Finally, and uh, I think Camp is going to go into a slump. Now, will the Yankees catch him? I don't know, but uh, I think Camp is going to is due. They're probably the only team in the American League that hasn't been in a slump yet. You know, maybe Houston. So we'll see what happens there. But I just wanted to uh, bring up to you also, and I think the Mets are going to go better. I think the Mets are going to get better. I think that regardless of Lindor and Baez and everything else, I think it's all going to come together, and they're going to make a little bit of a run, too. I'm with you, Will yes. Will they catch Atlanta? I don't know. Or San Diego? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and may I bring up something to see, uh, uh, Danielle? Yeah, real quick, because I just have to get the break. Go uh, ahead. Go okay. ahead. In Seattle, the, the woman, I think Angie, I know you know Mike, uh, Dave Sims and Mike yes. Flowers do the games out there. Dave is yes. from FAN. Flowers is a Yankee, I think. But there was a woman, uh, I think she's the sideline reporter, and she made history in Seattle because she was in the booth doing the game. And she was great. I, I heard awesome. that. I listened to the end of the game. She was fantastic. First time in Seattle history. Awesome. And she was so enthusiastic. She did a great job uh, professionally. And then at the end of the game, she thanked everybody. And was, she said, many things she said was, I love baseball. I've always loved baseball. And I still love baseball. And her enthusiasm and professionalism and quality of work was fantastic. And I, I just wanted to bring that up. And Sue Bird carried the flag for the USA also from Seattle. Sue so. Bird, yeah, from Syosset. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for taking that. Thanks, Thanks for taking that full circle. Bob is from Syosset. Sue Bird gets a shout out. Um, and just one quick thing before we hit break, I just I pulled up the strength of schedules remaining. You mentioned Tampa Bay; they have the ninth toughest schedule remaining based on win percentages of the remaining teams. You know, on their schedule, the Tampa Bay Rays have the ninth hardest strength of schedule, the ninth hardest schedule coming up, um, and uh, that that bodes well for the New York Yankees. As far as the Mets, well. Atlanta and, and Cincinnati and Philadelphia, all three teams that are ahead of the Mets, whether it be in the NL East or in the wild card, three of those teams have the three easiest strengths of schedules coming up. So there you go. And by the way, um, I know the Mets didn't give the contract to Cano, but they did take it on. So just I want to just clarify that for everybody before I get some mean tweets, everybody. So uh, Mets, they can go on a run, but they, I don't know, they've got uh, Atlanta, Cincinnati, and Philadelphia with the three easiest schedules coming up in the league. Whereas, I don't know, the Tampa Bay Rays might slip up. You never know. They have the ninth toughest strength of schedule coming up. Okay, and more of your calls coming up after this break, this short message, and this update from Kevin Dexter. Welcome back to Danielle in the daytime here on The Fan, everybody. If you can't get through on the phones, you can tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Don't forget, we do have Madeline Burke from the New York Giants calling in at 1120. And would you believe me if I told you that the Mets are mathematically closer to winning their division than the Yankees are to winning theirs? Yeah, believe it. After Friday night's games, the Mets are four games back from first in the NL East. The Yankees are six and a half games back from first in the AL East. Kind of crazy to think of it that way, isn't it? But furthermore, if the season ended today, the Yankees would make the postseason as a wildcard team, and the Mets would go home to watch the postseason on their couches like the rest of us. That's baseball, Susan, isn't it? Let's go to Paul in Floral Park. You're up on the fan. How are you, Danielle? Great, Paul. How are you? Good, good. Beautiful, but a beautiful day out, isn't it? Oh, oh it's great. It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the Mets. I just want to say something about the Mets before we uh, get into the Yankees. Yes. I mean, this team's 
they're a bunch of dysfunctional t- 12-year-olds. <laughs> I mean, it, it is ridiculous. I mean, with the raccoon thing and then the, 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 the thumbs down. It's ridiculous. I mean, you, you, you're kidding my Aunt Martina, God rest her soul. She, and my father, they're, they're, they're turning in their graves over this. Yeah. It's pathetic. Yeah. How do you do the fans? Yeah. The fans that spend yeah. their hard-earned yeah. cash to see you. I just don't yeah. understand that. Right, right. I'm not bothering to go if if, if they're going to be sensitive. Yep. I'll just watch it on TV. Yep. But but Yankees, I like the situational hitting. That's It's about time. About time, we finally. Work hard. Yeah, yeah. We had to work hard for last night's game. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. Um, my niece goes to St. John's. She's in the second year of her uh, tuition at uh, St. John's. Nice. She's majoring in theology. Okay, got it, got it. Yep. <laughs> All right, awesome, Paul. Thanks yeah. for the call. We'll talk tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, yeah, bye. yeah. Bye. All right, take care. All right, bye. All right. And uh, there's something that I wanted to, to uh, direct your attention to, everybody, um, really quickly. Uh, my friend, my friend, how crazy is that? My friend, Misha Tate, has her, her next fight set up. Tate versus Vieira. She just Instagrammed this. Tate versus Vieira, bantamweight bout. And she said, it worked, now she's mine. If you doubted me before, please continue. I love proving people wrong. It'll be October, I think she said it was the 16th? Whatever that Saturday is, October 16th in the Apex Center in Vegas. I will be tuned in for sure. Let's go to Tom in Hazlitt, New Jersey. You're up by the fan. Hi, Danielle. Great to hear you during the day. Thanks. Uh, great Appreciate show. Um, as far as the Mets, you know, they made up four and a half games in a week. There's no reason to think they can't make up four more in four weeks. Exactly. I mean, it seems like... As bad as things were for that month stretch, now it seems like all the breaks are going their way. And especially if they could get fortunate enough to get the ground back, there's no reason they can't surpass the Braves. And maybe that last weekend won't even matter for the Braves if things keep going the way they are. Well, I think that's a very, very rosy and optimistic view of what's going on in Queens and in and around Queens. Um, listen, I've said it a hundred times here and a hundred times, a hundred times. I've not buried the Mets yet on this program. They are still mathematically in it. And as volatile as the NL East seems to be, there's certainly always a chance, right? As far as Jacob deGrom, on the way in, I was listening to uh, Richard Neer and Eddie Coleman, and uh, Coleman said that deGrom, what do you say, he hasn't been throwing on uh, off a mound, and they're going to look to do that in the next 10 days. I think that's what he said. I was in traffic a little bit, but um, not totally paying attention. But I don't know if deGrom is close. I, I think it would be... Right now, lucky if the Mets got the Grom back. But with that said, who knows? You know, who who knows? But the Mets, looking just looking at them, they have the 13th diff- most difficult strength of schedule remaining. And don't forget, the Mets, see, this is the roller coaster. You have to remember the, the opponents. Like, the, the Dodgers and the Giants are the two best teams, or at the time, were the two best teams in baseball. That's why the Mets hit that skid. But everybody knew it was going to happen, but everybody thought the Mets were going to take more than just two games versus those teams. And then they got a very fluffy part of their schedule. They're supposed to beat Miami. They're supposed to beat Washington because they're above them in the standings. They're supposed to beat those teams. And beat as in sweep, really, you would think. And it's going to get tougher again. The next, you know, they have three games against the Brewers, three games against the Yankees, and they have the Red Sox and then the Braves. I mean, it's it's going to be, I should channel Miley Cyrus tomorrow night, it's going to be an uphill battle for the Mets. But you have to like what you're seeing from the team on the field at the moment. If you're a Mets fan.
Let's go, Dan, in Troy, New York. You're up next on The Fan. Good morning, Danielle. How are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm uh, terrific. I put on deodorant every morning. I'm ready to go, you know? (laughs) That's important. Yes. It is. It is. Uh, I'm so old that uh, I remember at the Madison Square Garden, the old Madison Square Garden, Muzz Patrick was the general manager and coach. And the whole stadium would stand up and go, Muzz must go. They had balloons (laughs) set up that way. Well, and and fire Dolan. I mean, mean, sell the team. I mean, come on. But this is this is New York, and I think with Lindor and, and maybe Baez, uh, they have rabbit ears, and they don't know how to adjust in a situation of that magnitude, mm-hmm. especially when Lindor is paying or will be paid the amount in years that he's gotten. Yes. Now, I have one question for everybody out there, and maybe you can answer it. Cohn's a businessman. He's made millions of dollars. He's run a company. You tell me why when there's a supply and demand of, of shortstops yes. next year, that this man signed this guy for 10 years next year starting, and he didn't say to him, you prove to me that you can play in New York, and you show me what you can do, and then I'll reward you. Otherwise, you get what you pay, and I'll tell you what you do. I'll give you an extra $5 million for this year to start it out with. Mm-hmm. Now, you tell me that business decision was made, and this is going to haunt the Mets, for many, many years to come and, and coordinate the fact that they might not be able to get some high-end free agents at the next year. What are they going to do with Cano next year? Here's what I would do if I was the owner. Buy him out. I said, you, you destroyed me this year for my team. We ain't paying you. You go sue me. And then have a negotiation to buy out. I don't want him in a Met uniform at all. Period. Yeah. And, End of conversation. And Dan, seeing the yeah. tweets from him, the LGM tweets, I'm like, oh God, he he he's ready to he's raring to come back. Well, you know what? Maybe he is, but he he shortchanged his teammates and the management staff for the New York Mets this year. He cheated again. First time, hey, you know, all right. Now he's cheated a second time. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't take anybody back like that. Yep. In a business world, yep. he's fired. Yep. Dan, right? I like it, Dan. And you know what? I am sure I'm going to bet because we are not on the Forbes list like Steve Cohen is. We are not worth $13 billion. Yet we have the common sense and, and, and the, the sense, senseness, sensicalness to, to do that. You've proved to me that you can play in New York. As you said, supply and demand, the the... the plethora of shortstops that are going to be on the market at the conclusion of this season that we know about already, there's a huge demand for them. I mean, there's a huge supply of them. So you you bring up an excellent point, and I don't think you need to be a $13 billion businessman to figure that out. This could be a contract that can handcuff the Mets for a long time to come. And I'm not sure about the legalities of... of um, I would have to get Amy Dash on here to figure out the legalities uh, of buying out Lindor and, and what they can do with him. She's great. Anybody, Amy Dash, she's excellent. So, Amy, if you're listening, hi. All right, let's go to Brooklyn and Pete. You're up on the fan. Hello? Hi. How you doing, Danielle? I'm great. How are you? This is the first time speaking to you. I, I spoke to nearly everybody for 40 years. Well, it's my turn, Pete. Thanks for calling in. That- Danielle, I have a different take on Lindor since I know him from Puerto Rico. You know, all right, we, first me of all. I him up from yeah. the same hometown in Puerto Rico. I got connections with him. Yeah, okay. He, he told me that he's getting new, used to New York and to give him a chance. Well, that's what he should have said instead of booing the fans. I think the fans would have been more re- receptive to, I'm getting used to it, 
bear with me, then I'm going to boo you to your face and basically give you the middle finger to your face. And Danielle, I don't know if I asked too much, but I don't want him back. No. And you know what, Pete, if you can, uh, through your connections in the town, just, just convert, you know, convey that to him. Like you, there was different ways to go about doing it rather than give the finger to the fans, basically the, the proverbial yeah, finger Danielle, to the fans. I speak to, I speak to him, you know, he's going to act different because I know him from Puerto Rico and I know his mother and father. Listen, tell him it's going to be a long journey here in New yeah, York, I a long him. 10 I years. Gave, I gave him the rundown. Sometimes I go to the game, you know, I'm not going to tell you who I am, but um, I'm usually by first base. Yeah, you got to pass along and that I'm message. Screaming at, I'm usually cursing at him in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, but but that's okay, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and Baez. I'm at him in Spanish so he can learn. Baez is as good as gone. You are right about no, that, Pete. He, I want him gone. I, I don't like him. Nope. Nope. And Thanks, he, Danielle. Yeah, of course. Good Pete. luck. Thank you. And Baez was the wrong cub. Let's just say that again for for the people in the back. Baez was the wrong cub. My God. And did you, oh, did you see Kemba Walker at the Yankee game last night? And a boogie with a hoodie? Pretty cool. Kemba Walker and uh, Aaron Judge had a moment. Speaking of being booed in New York, maybe Aaron Judge had a... Some some notes to pass along to Kemba Walker because you know what it's just it's I feel like it's like a rite of passage. Let's go to Hector in Washington Heights. You're up on the fan. Hey, Daniel, how are you doing? Great. How are you, Hector? I'm good. I'm good. I'm listening to Pete, and I'm wondering if I was sitting close to him on Thursday because I was by first base and his voice oh, no. sounds familiar. Probably. And I and I I heard <laughs> I kind of heard <laughs> someone in Spanish uh, screaming out of the door. Oh, uh, and and that's where I'm going, Daniel. Listen, as someone who goes to the, Jeez, probably close to 70 games a year um, and loves this team. Like, I love this team probably more than I should. I let it affect my emotions more than I should. I know. Like, a lot of fans do, right? Right. And this season has been tough because as a fan, we came in with, with expectations. Set you know, by you your owner, door. right? And, yeah, new owner. I don't even got to touch that because, I listen, whatever. New owner, right? New building owner. You get in the door. I wasn't really on, on, on board with that, but okay. You guys want to tell me he's a top five shortstop in the game? Okay, whatever. And then the season goes the way it does. He's having a season that he's having, and, and that becomes disappointing. And as fans, we don't want to boo. I don't want to go in there and boo. And I don't boo there all the time, but there's times that I do. I do join in. There's times that I do it on my own because I get so frustrated. And that's what happened. So people come out here, oh, like, like he was booed from day one. No, he wasn't booed from day one. Mm-hmm. That guy was giving many cheers. I've been there from day one, yes. opening day to many games. He was giving many cheers. But the way that they played is what um, brought out the boos. And even now, I'm having a hard time buying in, Danielle, because, yeah, as a fan of the team, I want to see the team win. But I'm having a hard time rooting for these guys. Not all of them, but a lot of them. You know, because of the nonsense that's gone on, the way that they've played, and then what they said. I know, I know. And even last night, I watched the game, and I see him do something that I still think is a little bit, I don't know if it's at the fans, maybe he's doing it to himself, but I saw him get to second base, and he was like smacking his hands like you would do, you know, you, when you tell him, oh, no, 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 you don't do that, oh, that's pow, pow, whatever, how we do in, in the lines. You know, you don't hit him, but you know, you, you, you hit your hands, and you say, no, 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 that's not good to do. You know what I mean? And he was doing that like on some... Oh, maybe because they got they got scolded, you know, like when you say, oh, they got scolded, or, or they trying to scold us again, like you yeah. know, by smacking your hands. Like, what is that about? Yeah, I don't know, Hector. So, I mean, that's where I'm at as a fan of this team. And I, I love them. I get happy at the result. But you said even last night, I'm not happy with what I'm seeing on the field. You still see the same struggles. 
and you're beating up on the Nationals. You better beat up on the Nationals. <laughs> you're expected to. go 8-0 and <laughs> right now with the Nationals. I'm serious, Daniel. I know, I know. And then go over 500 against the Yankees, the Cardinals, the Brewers, all those teams. Are they going to do that? And what is this team going to do if they get, they get to the playoffs? Yeah, Hector, you know? great question. I don't know. That's a great question. Um, and we'll see. If they were to get there, I'm not sure. The longer the season goes, though, the better chance they have to, to get a DeGrom back, let's just say. So I'm, I'm with you. I understand. And, and I think a lot of Mets fans are in the same boat. You want to root for them, but not all of them. Okay, so we've got... Um, if you guys on hold wanted to just stay through the interview or give us a call back, um, you're more than welcome to, or you can just hang on there to save your spot. But there aren't many people that know the big blue New York football giants better than Ma- Madeline Burke does, and she's waiting on the hotline as we speak. Madeline Burke coming up next after this on The Fan. We're joined on the hotline by Madeline Burke, TV hostess for MSG Network and the New York Giants. Madeline, thanks so much for joining us and taking time out of your holiday weekend to be a part of the show. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Happy to join you when the sun is out on the radio. Oh, I love it. (laughs) I love looking out the the window and seeing the sunshine. So thank you. Appreciate that. All right, uh, Madeline, you're you're there every day at at Giants camp. I haven't been there, obviously, yet, and now it's concluded. And a lot of fans really haven't had a chance to to get there and really see what's going on like you have. So which, we'll start positive here, which unit for the Giants as a whole looked the strongest to you on a consistent basis? You know, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, changes, revolving doors. You've seen these coaching staffs kind of tinkering with different combinations in each unit. Um, I think the defense is going to be very strong this year. I think the return of Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez is going to make a huge impact immediately. And I think that that pass rush is going to level up a little bit uh, from what it did last year. Also, special teams. I think special teams is a unit that people don't really talk about because it's not the sexy department of the football team. But, uh, you know, this team has put a lot of effort into acquiring pieces to elevate that that group. And I think that we've seen some pretty strong special teams plays in these preseason games uh, and the way that this team is working together in that unit. And I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of uh, fans and people in general kind of overlook. But uh, I do think that it'll be a strong aspect of this Giants team. Um. And Joe Judge, obviously, with his special teams background there, I'm not surprised, I'll be honest. Um, But what about, like, something, like, an anecdotal story or something that happened that you're like, oh, my God, I wish people were here to see this? Oh, gosh. You know, I mean, there's so... There's so many moments throughout training camp, right? I mean, it's a long month and it's a long uh, uh, journey, I guess, to be a part of it. But one of the things that I think has been really fun to watch is just, you know, people look at Joe Judge and think oh, he's such an authoritarian. He makes these guys run laps when they mess up, and he's so tough, and he's so this, he's so that. But he's also, I think people don't often see the personality side of him. And earlier on in training camp, you know, Julian Love was at the podium and talked about how, you know, Joe Judge says it takes, you know, all sets of hands to grease a pig. And and he's like, I'm sorry, what? What is this expression? So people ask Joe about this. Uh, what is this? And and Joe just kind of leaned into the joke. It was like, you know, from Julian's days in the South, working at the fair and, you know, wearing the green tights. And I mean, just these ridiculousness, like narratives. And these two went back and forth in press conferences. Um, and, and, and it just shows just how much like that personality, you know, and, and these coaches kind of talk about too, hey, you've got to have these tough conversations with players. But it's like, you know, when your your brother can tell you, hey, you know, shut up and you're not going to be so upset about it because you have that trust and you have that rapport. And it's clear that that rapport is there 
with these coaches and these players and just kind of the fun that they have on the side of it while working hard on the field. There have been so many changes to this offensive line, and, and honestly, it's, it, it's hard to keep track of. So can you take us through what has happened lately to this offensive line? And obviously, that's probably going to be the biggest linchpin of the whole Giants operation this season, right? Yeah, they have made uh, quite a few moves lately. They have uh, traded with the Bengals to acquire Billy Price. Um, they've uh, picked up a couple of guys off of uh, free agency um, or uh, off of waivers. Oh, Sorry, uh, they got Ben Bredesen coming in off of guard, and I think he practiced for the first time uh, the other day, and that's going to be an interesting element. They've, they've really kind of uh, shored up the inside of this offensive line. Matt Scora as well, bringing him in, um, guy who's got a lot of experience at center and guard. Uh, and I think it's going to be interesting because this is a, an area that this team has needed to address for a while, right? We know that. Giants fans know that. That's no secret. Um, and I think the fact that they were really kind of set on watching how this group came together uh, as is formed this preseason, this training camp, and it, it really quickly showed, you know what, we do need to make some changes. So I think there's been a bit of a scramble making some last-minute adjustments in the you know week and a half, two weeks leading up to the first game of the season. Um, but I think you know this is something that they said, hey, you know what, we've seen it. We know what the potential is and we know where it isn't, and we have to make these moves and address them. And I think you know it's going to be interesting as well because they do you know prioritize versatility. And so with the guys that they're bringing in on the inside, is Nick Gates going to – be the starting center. Is he going to play more guard? And I think Joe Judge has said, you know, it's kind of leaned into the fact that like he did last year and trying different combinations on this offensive lines of different games, I would anticipate seeing that as well a bit this year. You know, I don't think it's going to be, okay, here's the starting five and that's what it's going to be. I think there's going to be some tinkering. There's going to be some situational shifting. And this group is going to have a tough go these first two games against the Broncos and against Washington in the first two weeks. So, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to get really get hard to work after this long weekend on the practice field. You know, that brings me to the next thing, because I like a lot, most of everything that Joe Judge does, including running those laps, by the way, I do. But for, I cannot get behind the training camp philosophy of limiting time, especially for Daniel Jones. Like, how can you? I know that's the, what the Giants believe in and what Joe Judge believes in. So how can you like convince me that that's the right strategy for this young quarterback in a pivotal year is to sit him? Yeah, and I don't think it's as much sitting him as it is uh, evaluating. Right? You know, what, uh, with preseason, it's a lot about auditions. Right? It's about seeing who's going to be on this roster, and you know. For, you know, for better or worse, Daniel Jones is going to be on the roster. Mm-hmm. Sterling Shepard is going to be on the roster. There are guys that you know are going to be on the roster. So I think the first couple preseason games was more of an exhibition to see, okay, what do we have at the back end of our roster? Because we have some decisions to make. And cut down day, there were a lot of decisions to make for this Giants team, especially around those fringe players on the bubble. Okay, is this guy on or off? Are we keeping him or are we not? Right. And that's why they needed so many reps in those preseason games, in those situations, to show game situations. Because you know, you know what you have in a game with Daniel Jones, and you can coach and you can work from that point. But if you don't know what you have in a game from some of these back roster guys, that's where I think it comes in. And also, too, I mean, we saw how many injuries happened in the preseason. 
I think a lot, I think some of it might be a little preventative care. Um, and that's just my opinion. That's just my, yeah. my thought process. But I thought, you know, maybe because, you know, you see Evan Ingram go down with that cap injury and that's going to be, you know, we don't know the severity of it, but, you know, heaven forbid Daniel Jones, as the line is getting worked out and figuring out and they're, they're, they're auditioning different guys on the offensive line in front of their starting quarterback, what if something were to happen to him? So I think the coaching staff is kind of thinking through that as they're also saying, these games don't count. They don't affect our record. Yes, of course, we want to go out there and play winning football, but we also want to give all these guys enough opportunity to put on tape what they have so that we can make sure that we've got the best 53 on the roster. Mm, all right, good point. We're talking with Madeline Burke, hostess for Giants TV on Apple TV, Fire TV, Roku, and the Giants app. Uh, week one, you know, it's about a week away. Of all the walking wounded, Madeline, which of the Giants are going to be on the field for the Broncos in week one, if you had a crystal ball to tell us? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I will say uh, it was really nice this week seeing, you know, Saquon Barkley, yes. Kenny Galladay, Kyle Rudolph, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, all out there uh, getting some work in with this first team. And even if it was at a walkthrough pace, even if it was a little bit light, delicately getting, you know, banged around in pads, it's nice to see these guys on the field. I think that all of them are trending towards wanting to be available. I also understand why the team and the players and the coaching staff is not being declarative about that. Because again, when you're working your way back from an injury, there's a week, a lot can happen in a week. And if you say, yeah, Saquon can play week one, but then, oh, you know what? There's a little setback. So then you got to run it back. So I think that they're going to be very cautious. And um, I am cautiously optimistic that we will see uh, the majority of this starting unit available for week one, whether how, how much they will play, if they'll be on a pitch count or what have you, I don't know. Although Joe Judge has said repeatedly, he's not going to put somebody on a football field if they can't perform 100% of football duties. So I would be surprised if he's going to you know play a guy for one series, two series, but you don't ever know. I uh, I don't know. I think I like the way these guys look. I think a lot of people are wondering about Saquon. I think he has looked incredible all of camp, and if anything, they have been kind of protecting him from himself and saying, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna keep it going slow. We're gonna keep it going slow." But I think he's eager to get back out there, and um, I think Giants fans are are gonna be excited to see what they what they've got with him this year. Talking with Madeline Burke, hostess for Giants TV and Giants.com. And, and that's another thing, too. You'd have to keep in, in mind, too, also, that I think a lot of people are just so focused on the Broncos that the Giants play the Washington football team four days later on Thursday Night Football in D.C. So yeah. I think that's something to keep yeah. in mind as well if you're a Giant fan. Um, hey, you Absolutely. Know, here's a question I have for you. So I, obviously I wasn't there. I don't know if you even were. Were you the day that Mac Jones hit 88% of his passes in New England that day? Were you there? I was not there. No. Okay. So, I mean, then what do you know about that? Because I'm, I was curious to see, like, were the Giants – I mean, it was the A-team Giants defense. Mac Jones, were they underneath routes? Like, I'm just trying to figure out if Mac Jones is Tom Brady reincarnated or if the Giants did their best Swiss cheese impression that day. Well, I think, you know, if you look at what happened in Cleveland, right, the first day was a little bit off. The second day was a lot better. You, you kind of make these adjustments as you're, you're learning who you're playing against, who you're going against, and what have you. And I know that that day – has been talked about quite a bit and some of the uh, defensive players and even Pat Graham has said, listen, like we had a conversation that day. This is not who we are as defense. And, and uh, you know, Mac Jones 
has a lot of talent, as we saw in the preseason, as we saw him earning this starting job for the Patriots. I think that that is not something to be dismissed. Mm -hmm. However, I will say it was just an off day from top to bottom for that group, from what I understand. And it's something that, you know, these things happen, but that's why they happen in training camp and in preseason, because you have to say, this is not acceptable. And it was a teachable moment for Pat Graham and for some of these veterans on this team, and I think that they came out and kind of corrected course after that. Good. Um, now, here's the, here's the thing. I, I did a little, little research I'm sure you're aware of. The NFC East this preseason, their record, all of the teams combined for a record of 1-11-1. It was the worst division this entire preseason. So, Madeline Burke, is this a harbinger of things to come again for the NFC East, and why can't the Giants go out and, and take it this year? I would say, first of all, no. I think the preseason record means absolutely nothing. And I will say that because, you know, the Giants were 4-0 and in the preseason, the year that they went, what, 3-2, and <laughs> three and two, like 13 yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think, as we know, preseason football is a very different beast. Again, like you're putting out guys just to see what they can give you. And, of course, you're strategizing. Of course, you're trying to win. But – you're not making the decisions you would be making if it was solely about outcome of the game. You're making decisions about, you know, putting guys in situations to show you what they have. And those are not always going to be the decisions that get you those W's. So I would not make too much of the preseason records. Um, That being said, you know, I think a lot is going to come down to how this team starts the season. You know, they do have some really tough opponents. Um, but if they can contend, if they can, you know, split those first two games, win the first two, I think the momentum is really going to be there as well. Um, and this division, I think, is still pretty wide open. Yeah. You know, I mean, we saw how tragic it was last season. And, uh, you know, the Cowboys, of course, have the hard knocks effect where everybody looks like a golden god. And, <laughs> um, and then, you know, we've seen this every season where you watch Hard Knocks and you're like, these guys are all going to be in the Hall of Fame. And then next thing you know, (laughs) they're just football players. Um, You know, and then Washington, of course, that defense is going to be pretty strong. But again, I think the Giants defense is being a little bit overlooked as well, looking at what this defense did last year, missing some key pieces. Um, And again, I think the return of Lorenzo Carter is going to be something that is going to be very impactful. Pat Graham the other day was talking about him and, and said, you know, I, I get a little emotional talking about how proud I am of this guy because last season he came out, he was playing so well, and then he goes down and he gets hurt. And he comes back this year stronger and better. And, and it's just, he's, Pat Graham was just effusive in his praise for Lorenzo Carter and just how impressed he is with this young man and what he's been doing on the field. And I, I think a lot of his teammates have been echoing that sentiment uh, as well. Uh, Leonard Williams was talking about how it's just so great to have him back and these guys can talk ball and and understand the game at such a different level. Um, And I think, you know, even Logan Ryan said, too, his defense, like last year at this point, he was learning everybody's name. And now it's like, all right, we've got the schemes down. We we were in a little bit more of a rhythm because last year, you know, it, it was very different. No preseason games. A lot of guys coming in last minute. A lot of things being shifted around. I think this year, the way that this team is starting is going to be a lot faster, and um, I, I do I do think that the arrow will continue pointing up for the Giants. How far up that remains to be seen, and I think a lot of it depends on how this team starts the season. All right, Madeline Berg. Before I let you go, I have one very personal question for you. Are you ready for it? 
Oh, yes. Buckling up. <laughs> okay. All right. Are you more excited for this season, the Eli Manning jersey retirement game or the Michael Strahan one? You can't say oh, both. My you cannot say both. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just audible the Marvel night then. Because you can't oh, make me pick between on. 10 and 92. You can't make me pick between 10 and 92. <laughs> Marvel night? Come on. You know what? It's just, I'm going with C. Option C. Oh, my God. You're the no, worst. It's a comic book night. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. All right. I think both will, be, both will be great. Both will be pretty epic. And uh, also, Eli Manning jumping out of a box on Good Morning America <laughs> I was iconic. I, I think that, that right there. That needs to go on his Hall of Fame reel. <laughs> well, that and then holding, uh, what was it, Odell Beckham up in that commercial, too, that, that dance commercial. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eli, always full of surprises. And, and Madeline, always a fun time. Thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. So hope to see you soon, too, at one of these games, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll be there. Come say hello. All right. I will. Thank you. Uh, Madeline Burke, hostess for MSG Network and NewYorkGiants.com. Always a fun time. Always a great guest. So give her a follow. It's B-U-R-K-E. That is Madeline, M-A-D-M-A-D-E-L-Y-N-B-U-R-K-E. I put up on the break a poll, my favorite thing. I love playing mystery player with you guys. Uh, I gave you the choices, A, B, and C. I wish on Twitter you could put a poll and a photo at at the same time. So I had to put them in like a quote tweet level thing. So um, I tweeted the poll first, and then I quote tweeted the poll with the image of the stats um, for the 2021 of each of the players, player A, B, and C. Because of the way it's looking right now, the Yankees are destined for a one-game wildcard playing against the Red Sox. Let me just put this out there again before we even get there. The one-game wildcard game sucks. It's awful for every team that plays in it, the ones that lose it, obviously, and the ones that have to use their best pitcher in order to win it. So, like, I, I understand that it captures, like, the casual baseball fan because the excitement surrounding it, but... Baseball is a game of series. So like in my day job, if I taught you information one way and drilled it and practiced it that same way, why would I assess you on a test or a quiz in a different way? It just doesn't make any sense. So for a sport based on winning series, it does not make sense to me that a team's destiny is based on one game. But anyway, for the Yankees, obviously Cole's getting the wild card game. Obviously, right? That's that's pretty... Cut and dry. So who gets game one and even game two? We'll go game one, though. So who gets game one of the ALDS, which apparently is going to be against the Rays if the season ended today? So um, I did a deep dive on some numbers. You'll see them there on Twitter. Um, I will post them on Facebook, too, actually, by the way. And, you know, before we get to these, none of these, by the way, is Corey Kluber. Okay, I took him out. If he ends up looking like he did prior to being hurt, he's obviously going to get the start. So it, it... Operating under the impression that Corey Kluber will not be uh, in this mix, which player are you taking, A, B, or C? None of these are Cole, and none of these are Kluber, by the way. And it does not count. Uh, I don't want to say it. Never mind. Never mind. I I was going to say something, but it's going to give away one of the players. So, Um, Okay, so the poll's up. You go ahead and vote at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I love putting short polls up. I like you know, instant gratification. So there are 10 minutes to get your votes in left. 10 minutes left. All right, we'll come back to that in 10 minutes. So we'll go back to your calls in the meantime, 877-337-6666. Rick, thanks for hanging through that. Rick in White Plains, you're up on the fan. Danielle, really enjoying your show. Uh, Terrific job. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing more. Thanks. Uh, I'm just going to harp in on the booing. Sure. Uh, I'm a lifelong Mets fan, uh, grew up in Flushing, 
And like I, I'm not a booer, and I don't. I, I think you go there to support your team. But when somebody doesn't run out a grounder and it's bobbled and they're thrown out anyway, in my mind, that's a rare exception mm-hmm. because I can definitely deal with booing when there's just not the effort, and that really, uh, really bothers me. On the latest thing um, with the. With Lindor and Baez, nobody's really talked about Kevin Pillar much. And you know, this really baffles me as a Mets fan because I think he was a pretty beloved Met when he's going along with this. I mean, he got he got the uh, he got beam in the head, uh-huh. you know, fought back, mm-hmm. said all the right things, you know, when we're getting paid to play a game, right? want to be out there, and it just baffles me. So... Rick, the one thing I'll say that why I did not include Pilar in any of that was because I know it was like reported, but I, as I said in the open, I didn't see him with my own two eyes. I know maybe on Twitter you guys can find a photo of me, and I will include Pilar into all that, but I saw Baez and Lindor do it, you know, so that's why I personally did not include Pilar in that yeah. statement. I, I mean, I like the guy, and it really, it really bothers me. I haven't seen it either, but everybody's reported him as the third who did it. But uh, mm-hmm. I, too, have not seen the footage. But, you know, in terms of effort, just like to give you an example, you know we Mets fans struggled with Jason Bay for all of those years, and he was not producing. But all the media was reporting how hard he was trying, and it was frustrating for him. And I never had it in my heart to boo him or anybody if their performance is weak, but the effort is there. And that's yeah. kind of my approach, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. And thanks, Rick, for the call there. And, and that's um, like Glaber Torres, too. He's, you know, like, you, you don't know what these guys are doing behind the scenes. No one really does. Even members in the media. I mean, I'll tell you that Rugnet Odor and Tyler Wade, are, when I've been to these Yankee games, they are taking ground balls when I get there. And I get there, I, like, I am opening, kicking down the doors to get to Yankee Stadium to cover the games. And they are already out there taking ground balls every single time I've been there hours before the game. So you never know what's going on with these players. And I agree with you. I mean, no one likes to lose and no one likes to suck. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's, but we are a uh, results driven town. And if you don't get results, you're out, you know? So let's take a quick uh, little uh, looking at this poll. At C underscore Guerrero 24. He gave it away. Don't tell the people who they are, Christian. And uh, I, I obviously um, Cole's getting the ball in, in the world in the wild card game. So we're we're looking at who would start Game One of the ALDS against the Rays. I actually even in my research included that players that pitcher's number against the Rays. So you've got, I mean, it's down to like let's see, seven minutes left to get your votes in at Coach M C C A R T A N. Who are you taking to start Game One of that series? Player A, player B or player C, based on their 2021 numbers and their 2021 numbers against the Rays in particular. We've got a uh, a clear-cut winner, it looks like. I don't know. B. It looks like you guys are going for B. I'd like to hear your rationale. So if you if you voted, give me a call, 877-337. Welcome back to Danielle in the Daytime here on The Fan, only with you for another 23 minutes. If my math is correctly, taking you right up to the Yankee pregame show here on WFAN. Maybe you're in the car on the way to Yankee Stadium. Hello. And I, I just came across something on Twitter, a tweet from Brian Hoke saying that, um, really something unbelievable, that Joey Gallo, who, by the way, heard the booze last night. As I mentioned earlier, Joey Gallo heard the booze. 
His stat line since becoming a Yankee, 15 for 112. That's a batting average of 134. Five home runs, 11 RBIs. That's bad. I'm going to give a thumbs down right here in the studio to Joey Gallo. I bet he's not going to take it personally, though. I bet he's going to boo the fans, have some dumb explanation as to why he did it. I don't know. That's just my hunch. I don't know. Having spoken to him just once. I don't know. Uh, I did did put up some mystery players. So assuming, and I'll get to your calls in a second, you guys, 877-337-6666. Assuming that the Yankees are playing in in the ALDS after beating the Red Sox in a wild card game. Obviously, Derek Cole is getting to pitch that wild card game. We have final results in my poll. I asked who, which mystery player, player A, B, or C. I didn't give you the names, but I gave you their 2021 stats so far. And their stats against the 2021 Rays so far. And the winner is mystery player B. So if you guys go navigate, I feel like I'm in class. You guys go navigate back to that graphic. I put it up at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter. And Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. If Maybe if you're just on Facebook. Player A was Jameson Tyone. He got the least amount of votes. No one's picking Tyone to start in that game. I, I'm with you on that. Player B was Jordan Montgomery. And player C was Nasty Nestor Cortez Jr. What I'll say to start this off, and we'll get to your calls. Remember, Jameson Tyone did not pitch a single inning in 2020. And he pitched only 37 and a third in 2019. He's already at 121 and two-thirds already this season. This might be Jameson Tyone's ceiling. He might have just hit it. Because in his last two starts alone, he's got an ERA of 11.88 in eight and a third innings, giving up three home runs. It's just not good. It's just not good. So I'm with you guys. Stay away from player A. Think about this, though. You'll have a fully rested bullpen, most likely, in game one. So with everything in mind, I'm going Nestor Cortez Jr. in game one, Jordan Montgomery in game two. Because I know it's a smaller sample size, but Nestor Cortez has better numbers versus the Rays. Remember, you're playing the Rays, not just in, in game one. You're playing against the Rays. And for me, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's just a feeling that I have. Here I am with the numbers in front of me, and I'm going with the feeling of picking Nestor Cortez Jr. By the way, the Yankees are 7-2 and two when he's on the hill, by the way. And again, this is assuming that Kluber is not the same guy he was at the beginning of the season. Because in that last start, he looked great, and then he didn't look great. So, the winner of the poll, what you guys voted, was Jordan Montgomery. Interesting. I'm going Nestor Cortez Jr. Hey, there's still a lot of baseball to play. A lot of baseball in front of us, everybody. And and listen, we're talking about the Yankees making the postseason. A month ago, that was not the case. All right, 877-337-6666 is the number to call. Let's go to Sean in East Islip. You're up on the fan. Hey, how's it going, Daniel? I'm hey, good, Sean. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Um, I was calling just to get your opinion on the whole thing. I know the in September we extend the rosters to 28 men. Yes. And of course, we got Ruggie, we got Wade, we got Velasquez, and we got Torres. Yeah. Um, and I have to also throw into I definitely agree with you. I think a wild card game should easily be a three game series, um, not a one game. Because, Horrible. Like you said, football is a series. A game, a game of series, and there should be a best two out of three. Nice and short and simple. Finish it out in a weekend. Agreed. But uh, 
Yeah, I was wondering your opinion of who who you think they're going to keep because personally, in my opinion, I'm I'm a big labor tour. We're actually heading to the Yankee game right now. I, oh. I love the guy, yeah. but seeing Velasquez out there at short compared to all the errors that Torres made, mm-hmm. I would love to see Velasquez out there. One, born in the Bronx, of course, and he also got away his jitters, and he was hitting great, and he also played the field effortlessly. And then Wade, yeah. obviously, I don't know about that, but Urshela with his hand problem, I understand that. But obviously he's going to be playing third because he's got the one of the best gloves I've seen at third. It's yeah. awesome. And, um, yeah, I was just wondering your opinion of who you think they're going to keep and who you think you're going to send down and put away and yeah. see what the rotation might be for the postseason. Hopefully we do make it there. <laughs> yeah, Sean, good question there. And that's a question that, obviously, like the one I just posed, we're going to have to see over the next month or so. When you look at – I mean, Gleyber Torres is going to be on the roster. Okay, that's first and foremost. I mean, he was on a tear before he went out with injury. So the Yankees are hoping that he could pick that back up. Okay, that being said – you look at the speed of Tyler Wade. And you look at the defensive prowess, really, of Velasquez. And you look at defensive runs saved for the three of them, not including last night's game. Both Torres and Wade are below league average on defensive runs saved. Velasquez has zero. So he's at league average. I think right then and there, I think that option's Wade. I think that makes Wade the odd man out because Velasquez, he can do a lot of the things that Tyler Wade does with the speed and everything, and he's got a better glove. So if I'm making a decision today on Saturday, the the 4th of September, I'm picking Velasquez over Tyler Wade as much as that kills me to do it. I know. I know Wade has a better bat, but this this is a tough decision. Again, I'm not locking myself into that. Please don't do that to me just yet. But just looking at it, I think it's Velasquez. I think. Or, I, I mean, I don't even know. I don't want to even get into this yet. This is just a little too far out um, to do that with a lot of moving parts. So, right now, that, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Let's go to uh, Jay in Queens. You're up on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? It's been a long time. Uh, great to talk to you. Great show so far. Thank you. So, what I want to and talk likewise. about is something that I really haven't heard anyone really bring up and about Lindor specifically, and... So, <clears throat> since Lindor has come on, um, he has been sort of a, a real disruption. Uh, yes. When you think about sort of from the beginning, this whole Beaver episode, him coming on and putting his arm around McNeil's shoulder during mm-hmm. the press, you know, at, you know, post-game conference. Yeah, everything's fine. Nothing um, to then, see here, right? Yeah, and then you have him. Uh, talk about, well, you can't really uh, say anything about my defense. Yeah, my offense, you can talk about it. Um, then you've got... You yeah, know, we mentioned all this. Yeah, Jay, yeah, we mentioned all this, right? Then in the, got, in the open, yeah. Yeah, then you've got the bias trade, and then his comments about, I would love to play second. I mean, you know, I would love to play up the middle with him. And so, you know, that's really a disrespect to your teammates who, you know, the players who are playing second. Yes. Right? Um and then finally, this whole thumbs down issue with Baez, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 you know, given his personality, um, you know, maybe it was his idea. Who knows? Yeah. But I can't, I, you know, would David, I mean, the, the test here is would David Wright 
have done any of those. No, come on, Jay, and, no, no way, no way, no way. That's the thing. And I, I, and listen, I love Baez's fire as a player. I do. I like the testiness of it, except for when you cross over into the the realm of giving a thumbs down to the fans and telling, and basically coming out in the press conference and saying that you're going to boo them. You said it. You're going to boo the fans. That's um. That's that that thumbs down might have been a middle finger to the fans. Enough. And whoever's idea it was, they're all stupid for going along with it. And, and oh yeah, and I tweeted this too. By the way, I got a tweet from Jake, and I retweeted. I believe I said it said asking you may receive. Remember, I asked for the picture of Pilar doing it because I hadn't seen it. Asking you may receive. Jake uh, tweeted that to me. So Pilar is in the doghouse along with Baez and Lindor. Let's go to Ben in Queens. You're up next on the fan. Morning, Coach. When when your apology makes Bishop Sycamore look more real. <laughs> You got a problem. Yeah, sorry, I'm not sorry, but that's what I did. Come on, yeah, come yeah, on. that, that, that. Uh, I'm sorry you felt bad. Yes, but yes. Come <laughs> that, on, that's what that apology was. In terms of the Yanks, you know, just win these games. I do love to do it with less heart attacks, but just, just win these games. Don't, 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 don't dally around. Don't beat around the bush. Just win these games. Yeah. All right, and. And with the Mets, you know, hey, you guys already dug the hole for yourselves. There's no more talking. You, again, same as the Yanks, you just got to win. You got to just keep on winning. You, you, you essentially lost control of this. You got to just keep on winning. And it's college football opening day. I got my Hurricanes jersey on. <laughs> I'm, I'm believing, but I think we still make too many stupid mistakes to go up against a team like Alabama. Too many bad penalties, too many, you know, uh, look at me, look at me, look at me. And even with a rookie quarterback, I think Bama still beats us. I want to be different, but this may be painful for me. But, Coach, yes, loving the daytime shift. I got to run out for work, but thank you for the time. And with the poll... I can't believe I was right. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, was like, hey, by the way, you you sent me the shirt, right? I sent you the oh, shirt. I got to my mailbox today, and I saw a nasty Nestor Cortez <laughs> t-shirt in it from you, Ben, so thank you. I appreciate it. No problem. Like I said, I know you missed out that day, so when I got mine, I made sure to get yours, and I made, gave you it in red to let it stand out yeah, a little Yeah, I saw bit. that. I like that. <laughs> Enjoy it. Uh, I won't be able to call tomorrow, oh, but man. we we will talk again. Okay, we'll talk next week, Ben. All Thank right. you. I appreciate it. And let's go. Yeah, I got the shirt in my bag. I can't wait to wear it. Let's go to Richard in Manhattan. You're up next on the fan. Danielle? Yes. Oh, hi, Richard. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, you know what? Cole has 27 starts this year. Mm-hmm. Guess what their, his record is in the starts that. I'm sorry. Guess what the record of the Yankees is in the 27 starts? Not good. It's about 500. That's not great. I guess. 15 and 12. Yeah. All right. So, and yeah, last year, game five playoffs, Tampa. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a million dollar a game pitcher. Boone took him out after six and two thirds innings. Yep. Okay? I know. Okay. So these are mistakes we do on our own. We don't have to. All right. Now, you're asking who's going to pitch the uh, playoff game, the wild card game. It hurts. Let, let's talk about first this. Let's say end of the season, last game, Yankees and Boston are tied. For play, they're both in. Mm-hmm. They're fighting obviously for home field. Mm-hmm. Do you, and it's Cole's turn to pitch. Mm-hmm.
do you pitch him in that final game to get home field, or do you pitch another guy and say, well, we don't care as long as we have Cole for game one, whether it's in Boston or in New York. What do you do? Hmm, I would, Richard, that's a good, that's a good question there. I, I would pitch Cole. I would pitch Cole in, 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 in your scenario. I would pitch Cole and secure the home field advantage because uh, whatever year it was, 2019, I want to say it was, I believe that the home team won every single game. Home field advantage is important, and especially in a Red Sox-Yankees sort of rivalry, you know, it's, it's important. So I would pitch Cole, yes, game one. I would hope Kluber comes along, and if he doesn't, then I'm giving Nestor Cortez the ball in game one of the next series. Yes. Let's go to Sparky in Dobbs Ferry. You're up next on the fan. First of all, Coach, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Now, what I'm going to call one thing is about the booing. The booing, Lindor and Baez, the player they could learn the most from would be Tina Martinez. Because mm-hmm. if you remember, when Tina Martinez came to the Yankees, he, nobody was booed more than him. Reason one, he was replacing Don Mattingly. And reason two, he just was playing poorly. Yeah. But he won the fans over when he hit a grand slam in extra innings down in Baltimore. And now he's one of the most popular Yankees ever. Mm-hmm. And I, spoiler alert, I'm I'm working on getting him for tomorrow. I don't know. I'm not promising anything, but I am trying. Okay. And now another thing. Today is the anniversary of Jim Abbott's no-hitter, okay? And my sister took me to that game as a surprise present for my birthday, (laughs) which is tomorrow. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Coach, that's the only no-hitter I've seen in my entire time going to a game, to the games, and... The idea, you look at his physical disabilities, and he pitched an O'Hater. It was like, holy cow. Yeah, cool, yeah. You know, and, uh, well, I'm going to relax, watch the game, and you have a great day, my friend. Take care. (laughs) Thanks, Sparky. Appreciate that. All right, and uh, I, I am assuming, I haven't checked, but I'm assuming we have lineups for the Yankees and Mets coming right up. And uh, coming up now, yeah, they're both out. So we'll we'll dissect them. We'll go through them. Coming right up, both of the Yankees and the Mets are playing at 105, and I'm taking you right up to the pregame show here on WFAN. Welcome back. Finally, in the final couple minutes here, we're going to close this out to Danielle in the daytime on this Saturday, September 4th. We're leading right here on this station into the John and Susan with the Yankees pregame. Lineups are out. Let's go. Let's let's go through them, and, and we'll take uh, some more of your calls until the close here. 877-337-6666. The Yankees lineup. Um, I've got a couple things. Well, maybe just one big thing is uh, well, two. Uh, batting first, DJ LeMahieu, playing second base. Batting second, Joey Gallo, left field. Batting third, Judge, right field. Batting fourth, Stanton, DH. Batting fifth, Rizzo, first base. Batting sixth, Gardner, center field. Batting seventh, Higashioka, catching. Batting eighth, Velasquez, shortstop. You knew Gleyber Torres was going to be out today. He t- Garen Boone told you that yesterday, so don't panic. And then batting last, again, is Tyler Wade, third baseman. So a couple things. Me, if it were me making this lineup card, Joey Gallo would um, absolutely be slid down a few a few spots here. Um, I understand lefty-righty, lefty-righty. I get it, but to be, um, let's just say, not as productive in that spot, 
where he is. It's it's not a good look there. And then, of course, uh, I'll tweet out the Mets one so you guys can go ahead and read that. All right, so thanks to all the callers. I could not have done this without you guys. I love coming here, talking with you in the daytime. If you missed any portion of today's show, hit that Odyssey Rewind feature. Select the start of the show, 10 a.m. If you're a Giants fan, you missed Madeline Burke. Uh, she's from M- uh, MSG Networks, NewYorkGiants.com. She was with us at 1120. Great job to Brian Rascona, Eddard Zuman, Big Zoo, and to Kevin Dexter on the updates. Yankees pregame with John and Susan is up next. Stay right there. And I will be back with you guys at 6 p.m. tomorrow night. In the meantime, you can hit me up on Twitter at Coach McCartan and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. So we can get the <laughs> zoo. He's making me laugh through the glass. We'll keep the conversation going through then. I'll be back with you guys 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. tomorrow night. Sports Radio 101.9 FM. The Red. WFAU.